Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. This is Paige. Here's my coffee, right? And we are going to continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, where uh, we read the scripture and you get to see me think with my mouth open. This is, uh, 1 Corinthians is a, is a favorite letter of mine. Um... We'll get into it here in a little bit, but just know that, I, you know, when I think of Corinthians, I think of Corinth, rather. Uh, I think of it like as a, a uh, oh, a New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Anything ungodly comes out to play, and it, there's licentiousness, and there's sin of every, every kind available in the city of Corinth. And Paul has his hands full evangelizing, and growing a church in an environment like that. So let's get started. We did chapter one. Here's chapter two. He starts off by saying, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. All right, I highlighted that those words, and so it was with me. In other words, what is he referring to? Well, the last thing he said in chapter one was, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, several possibilities while Paul came to Corinth in weakness, with great fear and trembling. One, he just come from a possibly humiliating experience in Athens where he was mocked and ridiculed by the philosophers there. Gave one of his most uh, incredible sermons uh, concerning Jesus, and he was pretty much laughed out of town. Now, I don't know if that mattered to Paul or not. Uh, and I suppose I won't know until I get a chance to talk with him and when God calls me home, but that would, for a man of Paul's intellect, remember, he was trained by Gamaliel, one of the finest rabbis, and he was Paul was a brilliant man. He had probably the greatest mind, if not, if not the greatest, one of the greatest minds that the church has ever produced. In my mind's eye, my imagination, I pictured him among these other philosophers in Athens, the creme de la creme of the philosophical world, and he presented a brilliant presentation, and they laughed at him. If that were me, I would probably be humiliated to a degree. But I don't know if that's the way, but that could be a possibility because that's what happened just before he came to Corinth. Another possibility is maybe he's overwhelmed at the enormity of evangelizing a city as godless and depraved as Corinth was. Oh my, there's that, that's a huge undertaking. And three, 
possible choice, a possible reason he came with fear and trembling, is it was a deliberate choice on his part to consciously work to not inject any oratorical skills at persuading his audience to let the Holy Spirit validate his message. In other words, he would just present the message and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Uh, from my Bible Gateway commentary, I get this comment here. In the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, people who excelled at rhetoric and philosophy were celebrities, similar to movie stars, sports superstars today. Debating others and giving flashy speeches was a polished skill that required sharp wit, deep knowledge, impeccable logic, a stylish use of words, and fiery passion. The most successful rhetoricians attracted devoted followers who would pay handsomely to be mentored. Now, how a person expressed himself was at least as important as what they said. Both style and substance mattered immensely. Paul relied exclusively on the Spirit's power, so the gospel message itself, not Paul's rhetoric, would persuade and transform people. So Paul made a deliberate decision to not bring the flash, to not bring a, 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 a polished speaker's A-game. He presented the gospel. He presented the truth and let the Holy Spirit validate the message. That could be a fearsome undertaking. We do, however, we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Think unbelievers. That's what he's talking about. The difference between believers and unbelievers here. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, Paul had written in 1 Timothy about the mystery. He says, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. That's the gospel message. That's the message for the mature or the believers. And the unbelievers don't get it. None of the rulers of this age, again, think unbelievers, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. God has prepared things for us in this life and in the next. And he reveals these things to us through his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? You know, how people perceive you and what you're really like most of the time are two different things. One of the sad things about Alzheimer's, believe it or not, this, this applies. One of the sad things about Alzheimer's is that one by one it removes, so many times it removes the filters. Um, I knew a wonderful old lady. She was fun to be with. 
fun to be around, fun to talk to. But she, as she moved deeper and deeper in Alzheimer's, the filters came off, and what came out of her was a totally different personality. She was angry and bitter and vengeful with a sharp tongue. She, What she was underneath that she kept buried came out to play. It was sad to see. Who we are inside, who we know ourselves to be, many times is different than what the world perceives us to be. What, uh, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God so that we may understand what God has really given us. We have been given the Spirit of God so that we can apprehend and comprehend the things of God. It's funny. Um, things that I think are so common sense and normal to believe. Jesus Christ being resurrected, born of a virgin, resurrected on the third day after, after being killed on a cross. Um, that's matter of fact to me. It's, it's, I don't have any problem with that. But those who are not believers, they look at that and they just think it's absolutely insane. It's nuts. But I have the Spirit of God in me. And the Spirit of God in me testifies to the fact that that's indeed what happened. It's like I'm, I'm getting in on the secrets of God. There's a mystery here. And here's the mystery. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, died for my sins, resurrected on the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. Hmm. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us, our salvation. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for... Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When I entered that church in April, in March of 1975, in boot camp, I wasn't looking for God. My only motivation was to get away from my company commander for a couple hours. I could not have cared less about the scripture. I could not have cared less about hymns or preaching, the word of God. I, I could not have cared less about any of that. But at the conclusion of that service, I was totally changed. God did such a work in me, I couldn't wait to get back to the barracks so that I could read the New Testament, the Gideon New Testament that they had given me. I couldn't read enough of the Bible. In those early years, I devoured it. Now, what was different 
between the time I entered that church service not caring and leaving that church service changed. What happened? The Spirit of God. I had an encounter with the creator of the universe. I saw for the first time clearly the depravity of my sin and the holiness of his nature. I saw clearly that I was doomed, that I had no excuse. And then I experienced clearly his love for me and I understood his sacrifice for me and I was changed in the blink of an eye. I went in non-caring. I came out reeling with the truth that I was now apprehending and understanding. The difference between the early first page and the second page was the Spirit of God. I understood the mystery. What's the mystery? Well, here we are. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. What's the mystery? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This makes sense to me. This made sense to me after that encounter with Christ. It held no interest for me and made no sense to me prior to that encounter with Christ. So Paul, when he showed up to preach to them, he made it a point to not put on a show. He made it a point to present the unadulterated, simple, unadulterated, simple gospel. Jesus Christ crucified for us, resurrected on the third day for us, sits at the right hand of the Father for us. Presented the gospel and let the Holy Spirit validate it. Now, here's my takeaway from all this. Peter has been to Corinth. Apollos has been to Corinth. Paul has been to Corinth. All three of these individuals have been to Corinth. It appears to me that Paul has come in a distant third in a popularity contest between those three. I don't think that concerns Paul. He came to Corinth and deliberately dialed down his speaking when presenting the gospel. But do not mistake this as a weakness on his part. They are about to find out that he can be a force of nature in his own right. I'm wondering if Apollos and Peter had problems there and they brought in Paul. Don't know for sure. Um, it looks like Paul didn't plant the church. It looks I get the feeling that he's 
that he is watering. He's coming in there to grow the church. It's already been started with Peter and Apollos. But I like this last line here in this thought of mine. Do not mistake his dial-down message as weakness. Believe it or not, I'm reminded of a quote from a famous American gangster of the Prohibition era, era, Chicago. His name was Al Capone. He said, Don't mistake my kindness for weakness. I am kind to everyone. But when someone is unkind to me, weak is not what you are going to remember about me. Now, if I were to adapt that to Paul's situation a little bit, I would say something like this. Don't mistake my lack of flash or my simple message for someone having no authority or someone who has little authority or little backbone. Paul is about to take the gloves off and he is going to assert authority and he is going to take charge of what's going on in Corinth. Paul takes the gloves off in chapter 3. Hmm. Powerful stuff. All right. That's a little short today, but you know what? I stop where it stops and I go where it goes. This is Paige. This is my coffee. Have a blessed day. I'm out of here. Bye-bye.